It is the Big Rig Podcast, and thank you for listening to us day in and day out as we get the best interviews of the day right here on the Big Rig Podcast. Now, I'll be joined shortly by Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul. We talk about the recent impeachment inquiry hearings, uh, his penny plan, and his fight on e-cigarettes and much more right here on the Big Rick Podcast. Let's head to the phone line right now to talk to Senator Rand Paul. Good morning, Goober 95.1. This is Rand Paul. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you? Very good. Well, wanted to wish you a very happy early Thanksgiving. I know you've been spending some uh, time back home in Kentucky. You've been doing anything fun in your spare time? Well, you know, I've enjoyed being home. We're getting ready. We got a Christmas tree the other day, and... Uh, I have to say, I helped a little bit with the lights, but, you know, my forte, I don't hang the ornaments in the right place, and my <laughs> wife has to, if I put one up, it gets rearranged, so I usually just sort of sit back and admire the handiwork. Yeah, maybe you could be, like, a little to the left, a little to the right. Yeah, that, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> well, hey, I wanted to uh, just dig right into some of the uh, the whirlwind a couple of weeks we've had in Washington, of course, the impeachment hearings, uh, which uh, have just kind of been kind of like what I view as a as a circus almost. It's just hard to follow. There's so much information. I just want to get your thoughts on on what you thought of the hearings and does this really do anything as far as moving forward with an impeachment process in Congress and in the Senate too? You know, I think you can boil the impeachment allegations down to sort of one or two sentences. We, the Congress, gave the president permission to send several hundred million dollars to Ukraine. Mm -hmm. The first half of it was to be sent in the beginning of last year, and President Trump did that. In fact, he did something that President Obama had refused to do, and that was to give lethal aid. President Obama was given the uh, power to give lethal aid, but just on his own sort of decided not to do it. But President Trump did send lethal aid earlier in the year. The law that we wrote said you can send them the other half once you have certified six months later that they are making progress on corruption. Mm-hmm. Because Ukraine is famous for corruption, and I'm a big opponent of sending good money after bad to people who just steal it. So I think he was well within the bounds of the law to investigate Burisma, to investigate whether they've been involved in our elections. And so I really see absolutely nothing wrong with what was going on. I think that it's a matter of opinion, basically. So you have like two dozen people listen to the phone call. Most of them thought that the president did nothing wrong. You had a couple of partisans people who were activists, who were big Democrats, involved with uh, Democrat national uh, operatives, who thought it was a, was wrong, and that's how this thing got started. But as you've seen, the votes have been completely down party lines. No, no Republican in the House is going to vote for impeachment. And right now, I don't know of any Republican in the Senate who will vote for impeachment. Yeah. Um, now, I, I recently saw an interview you did with Fox Business talking about the Sixth Amendment and how the president should have a right to confront the whistleblower. Uh, could you elaborate on that a little bit more, please? Well, you know, we've had a long tradition, and a lot of our traditions in our Constitution and Bill of Rights actually come from England for hundreds of years before. So really, there's a long tradition to... If someone accuses you of your crime, they can't do it anonymously. Now, a long time ago, there were societies like in Venice in the 15th century. You know, if you go to visit Venice, you'll see like a lion's mouth, and you can put gossip in there and get your neighbor convicted of things through gossip and hearsay and anonymous accusations. But really, in England and then in the United States, we didn't have that. In fact, we put in the Sixth Amendment specifically that you have the right to confront your accusers. 
Now, the Democrats will say, ah, oh, it's not really a trial. It's just impeachment. He doesn't get that right. But an impeachment is a lot like a trial. In fact, the Democrats in the next breath tell us we should be treating it like a trial. Yeah. And really, the president is accused of high crimes and misdemeanors. That's what the impeachment is about. Well, that sounds like criminal accusation. To me, I think you should be able to confront your accuser. They argue the whistleblower statute says, oh, you can't name this person. That's not actually true. The whistleblower statute protects you from being fired, and it protects you from having any kind of legal recourse against you. But it doesn't say that uh, you remain anonymous if there's a legal proceeding. In fact, most people believe that there is any legal proceeding, and the whistleblower is the one giving evidence they have to come forward. In this case, I think it's incredibly important because it's basically the whistleblower's opinion. I mean, you got two dozen other people listening to the phone call who don't believe there was anything inappropriate. The whistleblower thought there was, and yet the whistleblower never even heard the phone call. He's, he's like hearing gossip around the, co- the coffee cooler, uh, the water cooler. He's hearing gossip and then says, oh, I'm going to become a whistleblower and bring down the president. I think most people think that that's kind of unfair and that the president's not being treated fairly and that the impeachment proceedings have been kind of a kangaroo court. So I think in the end it comes down just as pure partisanship. Democrats yeah. are going to vote for it. No Republicans are. And are you planning on introducing any legislation that might overhaul the whistleblower protections in regards to the presidency? I introduced uh, a piece of legislation that the Democrats objected to that would have broadened the whistleblowers to include all contractors, but also made it retroactive. Because I think uh, Edward Snowden did a service to the country by revealing that James Clapper was lying. You know, James Clapper said they were not uh, recording all the information with regards to our phone calls. And it turns out he lied. He lied to the Senate. And so it's funny. Everybody's all hot and heavy about this impeachment thing, but nobody ever did a thing to James Clapper. He should have gone to jail for what he did. And I think Edward Snowden did a real service to our country by revealing that. And consequently, we actually uh, got rid of that program. We, we actually, Congress came together, even though they all said they hated Edward Snowden, the information that he brought forward was then used by Congress to uh, reform all of this gathering of information on our phone calls. Any specifics in this bill that you're introducing that, uh, can you tell us what that would be, like how that would affect uh, how they could whistleblow on the president in the future? Well, what we do is we just restate that we think what the Sixth Amendment says, that nothing in the whistleblower status should prevent um, the president in an impeachment hearing from uh, confronting his accusers. So we restate the Sixth Amendment say that it applies to the president in impeachment hearings. And the the Democrat senator who stood up and opposed me from Hawaii, she just was going on and on about how this was the most ridiculous and absurd thing she'd ever heard of. And my response was that I don't think the Bill of Rights is ridiculous or absurd. And I think that the president, you know, the common man here in Bowling Green or anywhere else deserves the Sixth Amendment, but so does the president. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to move on to your take on e-cigarettes. You were recently... Uh, in some hearings uh, to, to try to combat uh, the, the health risks with e-cigarettes, but you, you, you stated that you feel like maybe they're not approaching this in the correct manner. Could you talk more about that, please? Well, I'm like everybody else worried about, um, you know, the, the, the people who have died from vaping THC. But it's important to look at the facts and not just say because people died from that, all vaping is, needs to be banned. The people who died have died from smoking THC, which is, you know, marijuana Mm -hmm. that they pack into these cartridges, and they're apparently adding vitamin E acetate, you know, whatever, you know, charming high school dropouts mixing this stuff together. But they're doing something that's killing people, and people need to be aware of that. So everybody should be telling their kids, 
do not smoke, do not vape this stuff that's coming off the street because you could die. And it's really sad to see like a 17-year-old kid with nothing wrong with them who says, oh, I'm going to smoke a little pot, and then they die from it. So that's, that's devastating. But on the other side of the coin, with regard to vaping, legal vaping of, of legal products, 480,000 people die every year from smoking. And so vaping is saving lives. It's saved tens of thousands of lives. So we, we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, because we have people dying from the vaping of illegal uh, marijuana, we shouldn't then say, oh, well, we're going to ban all of the legal stuff. Now, there is a separate issue that people are concerned with, and I have some sympathy for this, too. They say millions of kids are vaping. So uh, you could say they're not smoking, so it's better than not smoking. But I think smoking had been going down for years and years, but now vaping is skyrocketing with kids. And I think the, the public message out there for kids, anybody listening to this or anybody's parents is, it's not a good idea, and we should try to keep our kids from it. And I think there are ways of, of doing that. And one way to do it would be for states to increase the fines for selling to kids. So if you want to stop it and you want to uh, make sure the kids aren't buying it, let the stores that sell it have, you know, not a $5,000 fine, have them a $50,000 fine, and my guess is they'll quit selling it to kids. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about maybe states raising the smoking age to 21? You know, anytime you start messing with what the age of adulthood is, then you work. You have to work with the contradictions of other things. So we still have a draft. We don't use it. We have selective service. You have to register. But uh, potentially people could be drafted at 18 again. And I guess my concern is that if you're drafted at 18 and then you can't smoke until you're 21, is that really fair? We had that with voting for a long time. Remember, a lot of the kids that were going to Vietnam weren't allowed to vote, and people were, uh, I think, rightly annoyed that they were being asked to go thousands of miles across an ocean to fight a war, and they weren't allowed to vote. So I think the age of adulthood needs to be the same. Now, if you want to make everything 21, I guess we could do that. I'll, my guess is the Democrats don't want to change the voting age from 18 to 21, though. Okay. Uh, finally, I want to talk about your penny plan. I know you've been trying to get this thing uh, pushed through to a vote. It has hit some stumbling blocks. you have an update for us on that? We have a couple different penny plans. One's called the penny plan budget, and it simply would balance the budget over five years by cutting. It takes two pennies now, actually. So what we do is we'd spend 98% of what we spent last year. We'd do that for five years, and that would balance the budget. The reason I put it in terms of pennies is that most people – when confronted with that, they say, well, yeah, I remember in 2008 when times were tough and my salary went down or I lost my job, we had to cut way back on our spending. Businesses do it all the time, mm-hmm. but your gov- government never does. And your government's riddled with waste. I mean, I, I can give you a couple of examples. We spent a half a million dollars studying what happens if people are smiling and they take selfies of themselves. If they look at those selfies later, does it make them happier people? That was a half a million of your taxpayer dollars flushed down the toilet, as far as I'm concerned. We spent another half a million studying the Panamanian frog, the mating call, to see whether the mating call of the country frogs was different than the mating call of the city frogs. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) There's all kinds of waste. And so the penny plan would force government to cut out waste. I also introduced this week and had a vote on a new one called the penny plan for infrastructure, I think whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a lot of people are interested in trying to keep our roads up to speed and making sure that they're drivable. And um, the penny plan for infrastructure would take one penny from every other department, make them cut waste, and it would take that money and put it into an infrastructure fund. It'd be about $12 billion a year. It's not enough to fix everything, but it'd do eight to ten big road projects or bridge projects. It would do a couple thousand miles of interstate 
So it, it really would be worthwhile. We had a vote on that. and Unfortunately, we only got about 20 votes for it because most of the people in Washington are stuck in their ways, and they promise you more roads, they promise you more money, but they never get around to funding it, and so it never happens. And one benefit of the penny plan could be like a trickle-down effect. It would help states focus on other projects too, right? Exactly, because if you've got more money, you know, we get about $400 million from the federal government in Kentucky. If that went to 450 you know, that's $50 million more that we'd spend in Kentucky. So, I mean, mm-hmm. yes, it would definitely help Kentucky projects. And everywhere you go, one of the big things that people come up to me, and it's definitely people are looking for bipartisan uh, people coming together. One thing that brings people together really is trying to make sure our roads are up to up to grade. Okay. Senator Rand Paul is uh, joining us on the Goober 95.1 hotline. As always, uh, Senator, we always give you the opportunity to give your final thoughts as we head into the holiday season. I think overall we need to be aware of how good things are and what a great country this is, how uh, the country really in many ways is thriving. We have jobs available across the state of Kentucky. Uh, employers are telling me they're hungry for workers who have work ethic and will show up every day. We, uh, with the tax cut, have created lots of new jobs. Just here in, at the Corvette factory, we got 400 new jobs being created because of the tax cut. So I think when we return money to people, when we let you, let you keep more of your paycheck or let more of your paycheck stay in Bowling Green or more of it stay in Kentucky, that the economy does better. And I think that's a good principle to think about. Let's send less money to Washington and keep more money here at home, and we'll continue to thrive. Okay, Senator Rand Paul, I want to thank you for joining us on our State of the State segment, and happy Thanksgiving. Same to you and your listeners. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to the Big Rick Podcast. Remember to subscribe on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. The Big Rick Podcast, the best of the biggest interviews from Big Rick in the Morning on iHeartRadio, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere podcasts are heard. See more info now at onairwithrick.com. See exclusive video interviews and content now with the Big Rick in the Morning YouTube channel. Subscribe now at onairwithrick.com.